asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing how the middle class is shrinking and what that means for you. That is right, dude. We are talking about the middle class, and you said how it's shrinking, which immediately made me think about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> Please tell me you watched that movie as a kid. So I rewatched it uh, maybe like nine months ago. Did you really? With the kids. Oh my gosh. Trying to get into some of those live action. Uh, totally hold up. It's It was pretty good still. It was pretty good still. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. because the Giant that ants and the little... Totally one of my favorite movies as a little kid. Tall Blades to, of Grass. To watch. And oh then that gosh. kid comes to mow the lawn. And <laughs> <laughs> he, had his, he had headphones on, right? right, like, like, right. A, like a Walkman or... Is that what they're called? It's like a radio walkman. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like I a discman yet. Yeah. I think they were still the walkmans with the cassette tapes. <laughs> what was the dad's name? Uh, the nerdy guy? Wayne Zielinski. But, but what was his... Uh, what's what's the, that actor's name? 
Oh, the actor's name. Oh, uh, was... I can't think of it. He was so... Rick Moranis. Rick, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm terrible remembering names, but, man, I can picture his face today looking through that magnifying glass. <laughs> and, of course, they had to go children. sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids and yeah. stuff like that. Those were... That didn't work out so not well. Not as good. No. I loved that movie. Uh, and in a similar way, I think you're going to love this episode, <laughs> How the Middle Class is Shrinking. Uh, we really do have some good news for folks, and hopefully we'll be able to essentially guide you our listener, uh, through what this means for you, what this means for your finances, and how you should respond to this quote-unquote shrinking middle class. Yeah, there's a, a lot of data that we've used in this episode that we'll, we'll be sharing with you along the way, but um, then a lot of practical information about how to kind of think about the fact that the middle class is actually shrinking. Like, there's data showing this, um, but what does that mean for how we proceed through life? I think, Matt, for some folks, it can get them like down and discouraged when they see those headlines. But we think there's actually cause for optimism we'll discuss today. Before we get to that, I want to mention that I know uh, you you have been, you're, you're, is it just Evie who's taking piano lessons or? or mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So just, yeah, just her so far. The other girls haven't shown much interest yet. Okay. They might be getting so into it. So we're hoping to um, maybe enroll both of our girls, our older girls in nice. uh, in piano classes in the near future. But we, we just got a piano, which they're excited about, love messing around on but playing uh, chopsticks for yeah, now. yeah right <laughs> but we found out that actually there's some really good youtube piano lessons out there nice. and so until we get to that point there uh the girls are actually just kind of getting familiar with the keys where they place their hands some basics of like how to interact with the piano when you've never done anything musically ever before just through free youtube videos nice it, like proper hand position where, yeah. where you like pretend there's an egg. Exactly. Uh, within your palm. Like yes. all of that. All that stuff. It's amazing that. how just like YouTube solves so many problems <laughs> in mm-hmm. in education. And just, um, you know, I was using it recently uh, for a home repair that I was working on. It's just you like... You mean every home repair. For every <laughs> home repair. Yes. <laughs> I'm always going to YouTube and watching at or least car repair. Three, I mean, three videos. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I got, a, I got a good feel for how this works. I know everybody at this point knows about YouTube and just the extensive amount of... It, it really information that's is on there, but. an amazing catalog of just, I mean, what I forget, I, I heard some stats as to the number of hours of YouTube video of footage that is being uploaded every single day. And it's a mind-blowing amount of video, which basically means that there is not one single person that will ever be able to no. watch it all, navigate the troves of video that's <laughs> no. on YouTube. But it's and nor would you want to. You're right, exactly. No, <laughs> there's I bet a lot of it's garbage, a lot of crap on there. But uh, but it just made me think that there are certain things that we maybe forget or don't even think. Like that didn't even cross my mind. Oh, hey, maybe there's great piano lessons on YouTube for free, but they exist. Uh, similarly, like little drawing classes, the girls have done some of those online before. On and there, there's some great art teachers on YouTube. And I know, you know, I don't want my kids in front of the screen all day, every day. Yeah, that's what I was going to, I was going to ask, how do you feel about them looking at a screen versus being instructed by somebody where that is all that they're going to do and they're not going to dally when the ads play and be like, oh, but that looks really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And then they end up there's there's definitely that trade-off, right? And so for now, it's great. And maybe we'll learn some of the basics on YouTube, but eventually we'll do some in-person classes. But hopefully... That's a good way to figure out some interests as well before you start kind of plinking down the money 
and, and, and paying up for it. That's a good point. That's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, just word of the wise out there. I, I'll try to figure out which videos my kids were watching. Maybe we'll post a link to one or two of them in the show notes so that, yeah, if your kiddo is interested in learning an instrument, just just know that YouTube's got some good stuff out there to kind of at least help them get started. Yeah, they got to watch that tutorial on how to play the theme song from The Office yeah. for eight-year-olds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that's the first song every kiddo wants to you know figure out. But uh, Matt, let's mention the beer we're having on this episode. This is Stiegel Rattler, but it's the lemon variety. We've had the grapefruit variety on before. Zitron. Yeah. Which I assume is French for uh, lemon? No, this is Austrian. 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 Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll give our thoughts on this one at the end of the episode. Matt, we just got back from the beach and had... This is like a classic beach beer. And yeah. uh, I never get tired of it. Well, I will share with you why it is not a classic beach beer for me, but we'll save that for the end of the okay, episode. We will. None oh. of this uh, early on beer talk like we used to. Right. Well, by the way, <laughs> Back in the sh- day. shout out to listener Logan, who I met when I was at the beach on oh, that's right. yeah, Tybee you, Island. right. Yeah, into a listener. Yeah, so that's always fun, and I always appreciate it when folks come up and say hi. It's not every day we get to interact with people who listen to the show, but it's always a blast when we do. Did you quiz him? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Make sure he listened to the most recent episodes. <laughs> yes, yes. You clearly have not been listening, sir. Right. What's your problem, dude? Go back and hit play. <laughs> uh, no, I did not not do that. But um, <laughs> That's good. yeah, Logan seemed like a, a cool dude. Nice, nice meeting you, Logan. But Matt, let's get onto the subject at hand. We are discussing the middle class. Let's do it. It's shrinking and what that means for our listeners. And uh, it made me think as we were kind of thinking through this episode that it's never fun to be in pain. Like nobody's like, woohoo, just hurt my back working out or um, yay, all right, I sprained my ankle when I was going for a run the other day. Nobody talks like that. No, nobody thinks that way. But it, it turns out, though, of course, that pain is actually a good thing for us, right? Because if we didn't feel pain when those things occurred, we're more likely to do more damage to the, the wounded area if we don't take any action, right? Um, so, yeah, if it's pain, if, if there's some sort of pain-free wound that you got, you might break your ankle instead of just spraining it. So there are some things that appear on their surface to be bad, but they're actually good. And like when we're talking about the middle class shrinking, I think a lot of our listeners might instinctively have like a sour reply. (laughs) They might be like, yeah, of course I know that. Like, Things aren't good, right? And But I, I think we've been primed to maybe receive crappy headlines, shrug our shoulders in disappointment, move on about our day, and just kind of think the worst. But we would say that the, the shrinking middle class is actually, in large part, a good thing. And so let's talk about that today, Matt, how, how a smaller middle class isn't all bad and how actually our listeners can do something, uh, take that information and do something positive with it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're not doctors here by, by any means, but like, like what you said, right? When you twist an ankle or something like that, what it makes me think of is like, there's an immediate pain, which is probably a really healthy thing to get you to stop what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. But then after that, like what immediately happens is that your ankle swells. Um, and I think like, that's how we're trying to, to kind of present, uh, how we're going to talk about the middle class today, because it's sort of like that prolonged pain that we're trying to address here. Uh, because again, we're not experts, we're not doctors, but it seems like that that is the first step that our bodies take towards healing. Uh, and so this is this is why we're making the argument that we think a, a shrinking middle class could potentially be a sign of overall health for our economy. But yeah, if it does feel like the middle class is shrinking, then it might feel like that you are getting squeezed to one end or the other. Uh, and so if you buy into the narrative that the middle class is hollowing out, you're going to be more likely to be upset by an economy that isn't working for the majority of Americans uh, because a healthy middle class creates a more stable society with less crime, with uh, a healthier economy and, you know, with greater levels of innovation. After all, the rise of the middle class 
class is one of the main reasons our country is what it is today. So a shrinking middle class should be concerning, right? Well, <laughs> it's not that there is no bad news out there, right? But we actually think this is more good than bad. Uh, and that's because the majority of folks leaving the middle class are actually being bumped up into the upper income stratosphere. Folks are leaving the middle class to join the ranks of upper class uh, earners. And we feel this is good news. Yeah. So let's start with some definitions, Matt, because it's, it's kind of hard to define the term middle class, you know, are we talking about because well, there's there is no technical set definition of what that means. Right, it just depends on who it is that you're reading, what research you're coming across, and a lot of people might self-identify middle class. Yeah, but exactly. They might be upper middle class, like upper <laughs> class or something like that, and they like to think that they're a person of the people. But <laughs> in reality, now you rich. Um, but yeah, are we talking about education, income, living arrangements? Uh, the, the the definition it, it can mean different things to different people based on who you're talking about and you know based on what methodology you're using. But uh, just to let you guys know, our jumping off point for this episode was a recent Pew Research Center study. And this is the kind of stuff that Pew has been tracking for decades. Uh, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes so you can pour over it yourself if you'd like to. But the definition that uh, we're going with states that the, the it's, it's going to be income-based. And it, it states that the average middle-class family earns between $52,000 and $156,000 in 2020 dollars, which, um, you know, has changed a little bit because of recent <laughs> bouts of inflation. But uh, that is true. I'm curious. I mean, they, they can't like on a dime update the information, up, update the research to reflect 2022 dollars, but it has changed. Yeah. And when you think about middle class lifestyle and, and it being based on income, well, I think it's a reasonable measurement, but then it might leave out, let's say, some of those fire folks who have a $1.5 million net worth, mm -hmm. but they're not actually currently bringing in income mm -hmm. to that extent, yeah. right? Uh, but yeah, lower income folks are then considered folks who, who make below $52,000 on the income scale. Upper class folks exceed that $156,000 amount. Um, and and Pew, like we said, releases this information regularly. Um, and, and really, what they're attempting to measure is what's happened over the past 50 years when it comes to income mobility. And w I think while what we're going to find today is that while it seems like the headlines tend to focus on a middle class that's shrinking, after we dug into the info, it just feels like the whole story is rarely told. Mm -hmm. But we thought that maybe like the full set of data and kind of um, talking about its implications can be helpful to all of us. Yeah, it can be helpful to the narrative and the words that we use and, and the attitudes that we carry with us. Uh, because in reality, when you look at Pew's data, like it does show that the median income for the middle class has actually grown over the last 50 years, but it just hasn't grown as quickly as those who are upper income earners. Middle class incomes have grown 50% over the past 50 years, whereas upper class incomes have increased at a rate of 69%. Uh, but the thing is, this makes sense if you consider that the very fact that income mobility exists, like that means that individuals who may have previously been in the middle class, they have the ability and they have the opportunity to increase their incomes by a significant factor, right? Where, where they're actually leaving the middle class behind. They're not just migrating upward with the middle class. They're kind of boosting themselves into a completely different class. Uh, and so if you consider where that nearly 20% difference between the upper and middle class might have come from, well, there's a, I think there's a very good chance that that increase came from earners leaving the middle class. Mm -hmm. I think that's very true, right? Because uh, as we've seen, the middle class is getting smaller, but more and more of those folks who left the middle class have gone to into the upper class, like into the upper stratosphere of income, then have gone down into yeah. the lower income. Yeah, threshold. there's not like an uber elite 
uh, upper upper class <laughs> right. that where folks have dropped down from there into the upper class. Like the all the folks that have been going into the upper class have been getting there from below, basically. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, even though you, you just mentioned, Matt, attitudes or beliefs, right? I think that's such an important part of this and how um, just seeing some of those headlines some, can sometimes make us sour on the American experiment or just kind of how we feel about our life or our lot in general. And the reality, though, is, is that almost all of us, are living better than our parents did, right? As evidenced by like a more widespread availability of healthy foods at cheaper prices, more affordable consumer goods, and an even better tax policy. But uh, even though those things are true, consumer sentiment is often negative, right? Our attitudes are like, we, we just can consistently think that things are getting worse. Mm-hmm. And, and there was this recent Wall Street Journal article <laughs> and the title was, consumers say that 2022 is the worst economy ever. And that was based on uh, a consumer sentiment survey from the University of Michigan that that they put out, I think, on a quarterly basis, and uh, or, or maybe it's monthly. But attitudes and beliefs they they just don't always line up with the reality. And so it, it, to think that 2022 is the worst economy ever would be an overstatement of incredible proportions. <laughs> and uh, it's obviously, it's not all sunshine and roses. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But it's important for us to have a proper perspective on what we're actually living through and the opportunities that exist. So we want to talk about those opportunities, but we will get a little bit pessimistic to lead things off. We'll talk about we'll talk about the downsides of a shrinking middle class and, and some of the headwinds that middle class Americans are facing right now. Let's get to our thoughts on some of those things right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. 
Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back. We are talking about how the middle class is shrinking. And, you know, before we before we die, like explain all the, the wonderful ways that this is going to be a good thing for you, <laughs> there are some fair arguments for why so much of our country is feeling pessimistic. Uh, inflation, for one, is obviously impacting everybody. Uh, and it's threatening to undo some of the, the gains that people at the bottom end of the income spectrum have realized over the past year or two. Uh, we talked about gas prices not too long ago. Although they are coming down now, they have significantly cramped a lot of budgets. Uh, but prices at the grocery store, that affects lower income folks in a larger way as well. And some of the more disturbing research showed uh, from Pew that lower income earners, they showed actually the least amount of growth uh, at just 45% over the past 50 years versus the the. 50 50 and 69% uh, from the middle and upper class earners. That's right. Yeah. So, so we're, yeah, inflation obviously is is a reason that people feel pessimistic. The last year has has been a real gut punch for a lot of people when it comes to their personal finances. And uh, long-term inflation in specific segments of the economy is taking a toll as well, Matt, because healthcare costs as a percentage of GDP it's through the roof, right? When you look at over the last 30, 40 years and, and no political solution seems to have made much of a dent. Uh, Instead, you just have to choose not to go to the doctor like I do right. or, <laughs> or dentist. You just kind of chance that's, it. That's my approach. Right. Which, you know, is, is not something that uh, Joel, I would can recommend. You look, can but you look at this, this sure. bump on, the, um, on my back? I, I, that's what I, like my doctor <laughs> friends, I have very few of. Uh, my, like one of my friends, he's an ophthalmologist and, nice. and so he, I know he doesn't know anything about these things, but you know, I still get him to take a look at my eyes. He's uh, like, you look into his eyes yeah. long and deep and be like, you don't see anything weird, right? You? Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good, right? Uh, well, I mean, the same thing is true when it comes to the soaring cost of college, which we're actually going to talk about on the show mm. next week. But there, there are at least in in that regard ways for for folks to avoid at least some of that uh, increased cost by taking a savvy approach, which we're going to discuss. But um, it, it's of course it's a legitimate problem impacting a lot of millennials, Gen Zers, and even their parents, right? Taking on uh, parent plus loans, parent plus loans, mm-hmm. and the the median price of a home, talking about something else negative, was 2.2 times income in 1950. 
and it's 6.3 times income in 2020. That's that's a big jump, and and it's probably gonna it's gone up even more, Matt, because of you know recent home price appreciation and now rising interest rates. Yeah. But uh, homes have gotten a lot nicer. <laughs> There's, that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. It's just oh, it costs more money for a lot of people. That means a lot more space, um, nicer amenities, and and stuff like that. But it's still a meaningful issue, and it's one worth mentioning. It's certainly adding to the the negative attitudes. Although sure. I think someone could easily make the argument that well with that nicer house isn't isn't that nicer house a part of achieving that middle class lifestyle sure uh, isn't that a part of the middle class or a part of the american dream uh, i think that that could be the the case but it's also true that more households are living on two incomes than they were 50 years ago 54 uh, percent of single income households were considered middle class uh, half century ago but only 37 percent are now uh, and so single folks especially single parents are finding themselves in a more precarious financial position whereas as married folks are finding it easier to move up the income scale. Uh, so the economy is working for a large chunk of folks, but your family status is proving to play a large role in your financial security. Yeah, so the data from Pew really is mixed in a lot of ways because we are seeing a shrinking middle class, but that has led to a bigger rise in in families being in that upper upper class um, strata where their income is at least six figures, if not higher. And, but I think for a lot of folks, Matt, they feel like everyone is falling behind. But it turns out that some segments of the population are actually doing really well. They're actually uh, vastly improving their their standing in this economy. And uh, the New York Times actually just had an article about second generation immigrants and how second generation immigrants are succeeding wildly. Um, and it was just kind of a fascinating article about the ascent of immigrants in this country in general. You're, you're actually more likely to become middle class, upper middle class, and even rich, which is another stratosphere that the New York Times described. Just straight up rich. Just straight up loaded. <laughs> As a child of an immigrant, if you were like born here in the United States and your family's been here for a while, immigration has basically always been a good thing for, for this country as a whole, keeping the American dream alive. But I feel like there's just so much uh, interesting data in that, Matt, that we can extrapolate. It, it's clearly more financially beneficial to grow up as the child of an immigrant than to be a third or fourth generation citizen. And I don't know, friend of the show, Christy Shen, who we had on back in episode 118, I think her story is kind of indicative of this reality. Uh, her parents basically grew up in poverty in China uh, under authoritarianism and they ended up making it out to Canada uh, and they were they had to sacrifice a lot right in order for mm-hmm. for Christy to succeed but succeed is what Christy did and sometimes there there is that reality that that for some reason, second generation immigrants are able to make the most progress when it comes to the American dream, even more so than folks who have called America home for for a lot longer. Yeah, it's crazy how the data, I mean, it's incredibly clear. It's almost as if immigrants have a clearer understanding of what's available here in the U.S. than folks who have, yeah, for generations been U.S. citizens. Makes me think of uh, Hamilton and what do you say, immigrants, they get the job done. (laughs) And it's just, it's true. And the data really, really reflects that, that immigrants are protecting in the American dream more than more than most folks who have been here a long time. That's right. So if you disagree with us, take it up with Lin-Manuel. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, okay, let's, let's talk about how the middle class is shrinking, uh, because part of what we need to do is really dispel some rumors and sort of like false beliefs about rich folks. <laughs> because, you know, like when we see articles about quote unquote rich people, we're usually hearing specifically not about maybe a millionaire, but billionaires, right? Like like Bezos, uh, Elon, they, uh, they get their fair share of headlines. Uh, but these fellas are definitely outliers. By the way, Elon has had a lot of negative press lately. Um, I'm there, sure. there are other reasons that he's been in the press. <laughs> it sounds like his, his private life is... Um, 
odd yeah to, to say the least <laughs> uh, but the reality though is is that when you hear the word rich you should have a much broader definition uh, as to who falls in this you know within this category uh, and those guys should probably they, they probably should be in that completely you know, different camp like the uber super filthy rich that i was talking about like there isn't really a, a separate category for those uh, who are beyond rich it's really that if you make more than one hundred and fifty six thousand dollars you are considered upper class yeah. and technically uh, within a lot of studies you are in the same category as elon and yeah. as bezos which is funny because yeah they are complete, the zuck. complete outliers on hydrofoil <laughs> right but when we talk <laughs> about rich people we're uh, uh, we're often pointing fingers at like the super rich tech moguls um the hyper rich right the the billionaire class but there's a big difference between just normal everyday rich which for a lot of people looks a little more middle class or doesn't feel um exorbitant and some of those guys who are trying to you know make us an interplanetary species Mm -hmm. by firing rockets off into space and you know uh taking down bridges to to move their yachts uh around the world but yeah another article actually from the new york times that ran recently uh discussed how the majority of rich folks actually make their money and that was really interesting to me too matt because spoiler alert it's it's not from building rockets or you know creating some sort of online business or newfound venture that reaches millions and millions or tens of millions of folks most folks that are in the rich category they get rich over time uh from owning an incredibly not sexy business mm-hmm. right yeah. mostly from looking like normal people and according to uh some some survey data from 2019 the folks who make up even the 0.1% are largely folks that would fly under the radar, right? That are eating at the same, same fast food restaurant you might be eating at. Uh, they're, they're, they're eating at the same Mexican place where they hand out the free chips. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like they're down with that too. And, you know, we're talking about folks who own auto dealerships or smaller regional distribution companies, uh, folks who you wouldn't necessarily think of as uber wealthy. And even the author of that New York Times piece was like, I was shocked to read who the rich are. Yeah. Like they're yeah. not the people you would suspect it was helpful to see i think that some of the the rich people uh, according to this data actually have lives that that aren't completely abnormal right and and oftentimes their wealth comes from creating a business that employs a lot of other people that is is doing something productive for the local economy yeah, and I think you could even argue that that quote unquote normal life where they have uh, what looks like normal expenses is a part of what has led to them having the you know those larger amounts of wealth. Uh, and so I think that one thing that we can take away from this is that wealth flows to owners. You know, we talked about that in depth back in episode 425. Uh, that's why we're so big on investing in the market, right? Owning these little slices of a wide array of American businesses. Because even if you are unlikely to start the next Amazon or the next Tesla, uh, there are still many avenues to making a great income, landing yourself within the upper class of American society. Uh, that doesn't involve uh, moving to Sil- Silicon Valley or marrying rich people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's If that's your, your main avenue to moving into the upper crust of society, just marrying someone who's loaded already um more power to you but uh uh, that you don't have to do that is what we're saying that doesn't have to be your only your one avenue right it's there's still that possibility for lots of folks without going to those links Mm -hmm. Um, it's also important to note matt that being rich is an always evolving phenomenon so something like uh, one third of americans are actually going to be included among the top five percent of income earners for at least one year during their working life. Super cool stat. Yeah, a very (laughs) cool stat. So oftentimes we say uh, rich folks and we point a finger there, um, but it's not like this static group of individuals who continue to pad their Scrooge McDuck-like vaults with more gold coins, right? That's usually kind of the, the way we think about 
people who are considered rich in our society. But but there's a chance, a decent chance, that you, dear listener, will be included in that group for at least a portion of your career, even if it's just for maybe a few years during the time when you're at your peak earning abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Pew also found that the bottom quintile of Americans is more than 50% likely to experience upward mobility, while only 7% experience downward mobility. So the reality is that there is a lot of upward mobility potential in our society still, Mm -hmm. even though, Matt, I think a lot of times um, the way we discuss these things, there's a prevailing attitude or belief that that's not possible. Well, the stats tell a different story, right? That the people from who are in the lower class can move up, even if it's not easy. And the folks who consider themselves middle class might at least for a stretch of time be be in the upper class. Our class structure, income levels, they're not some sort of never changing set in stone sort of reality. That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of mobility and we need to keep that in mind. Um, let's, take, let's take another approach here too, because if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that, that we believe that riches aren't everything, right? It, it's okay if you're never a part of that 5% uh, that are that is going to be in the you know top 0.1%, uh, because we believe that joy is found in a whole lot of things that are not related to money at all. And so it's not our goal in this episode to push all of you How to Money listeners out there to figure out how to make a million bucks uh, every year, <laughs> or even more than $156,000. If you love what it is that you do, earning a lot less than that while still being able to save and invest, uh, more power to you. Uh, so for instance, I th- most teachers, they will never be categorized in that upper income echelon. True. Uh, but most are pretty passionate about their work and they, they love educating the next generation. There's a level of fulfillment that I've heard many teachers express that, that makes up for a smaller paycheck. Uh, and we've got some teacher friends who love to take full advantage of those summers off. <laughs> so I say this because it's important to point out that making a conscious choice to spend your days doing something awesome, at least something that's awesome to you that you feel is fulfilling is going to be way more important than getting rich uh, according to what the world is calling rich at the very least. But on that note, we would not have an episode here for you without some more practical advice. So we have some specific tips, uh, some strategies to change your economic position, some different ways to increase your income. And we will get to all of those right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. 
Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back from the break. Still talking about shrinking middle class, but how it's not all bad. And Matt, I like what you said kind of right before we went to the break, how there are a lot more things that matter in this life than just money, right? And so somebody might hear the beginning of this episode and think like we want everyone to get rich and sacrifice whatever it takes in order to get there that is certainly not the case so i'm glad you um, especially your friends and family right yeah (laughs) don't um don't throw them by the wayside in order to make more money but relatively speaking you know when we're looking at the data from pew we want we do want our listeners to be represented in and included in the population that's moving up right that's finding more financial security we do whose incomes are are largely growing um but how do you ensure basically the you're you're on the winning side of a shrinking middle class. Let's talk about that now. Uh, the first thing we would say, uh, there, there are a few steps we, we think you should take or that most people should take. One is to 
to change your mindset. And that might sound a little woo-woo or something like that, but uh, it's important for... Just think positive thoughts, Joel. <laughs> yeah. And there's like <laughs> like definitely some like bad advice, right? <laughs> headed in that direction where... If you Manifest just, it. Yeah. That, that's just kind of ridiculous. But, but th- there is a reality that you have control of your life and that we don't live in a caste system. And I think sometimes knowing or seeing some of that data, but then um, but also recognizing that you have more control than you think, how that can help. And there's more uh, income mobility in this country than in most places in the rest of the world. Although the Scandinavian country, countries are, are actually better than us in that regard. Uh, but we, we talked about the fact that almost 40% of Americans are going to be in the top 5% of income earners for at least a year, right? And I think that, that should actually be encouraging, right? To help people realize that they are in the driver's seat mm-hmm. of their own life, right? They they aren't stuck. They can make progress. And I think knowing and believing that is, is part of the key to finding the motivation to change your lot in life. Uh, makes me think of this uh, Netflix uh, movie I watched with my wife uh, a few months back, Matt, nice. called White Tiger. I don't know if you... Uh, it was a book, too. I think my wife read the book. Okay. But, um, and it's literally about this young Indian entrepreneur. And uh, for him to get to the place he got was a lot harder than, than almost any path yeah. that any uh, modern-day American has has to take to get to that middle or upper class. So I think it's helpful maybe to see stories from other people in other countries and realize that while it's not necessarily easy, um, it, it is one of those things that is more widely available than in a whole lot of other places uh, where you could be living. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the immigrants as well. When you come from a country, when you come from a, a system that does not foster financial or income mobility, I think you are able to come to the U.S. and see the opportunities here. I forget the name of the comedian. There's a, he's, he's a Chinese guy, but he talks about how there's just so much great stuff going on in the U.S. Is it Ronnie Chang. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, right. And and, and uh, he he was explaining how the word for America basically means like I think it was the beautiful land or yeah. the beautiful country right, or something right. like that. Like when you uh, translate it directly, because of so much of the promise that is here in our country, and we fail to see that a lot of times. But it is good to be re- reminded of that from talking to folks who are from other countries yeah. uh, who have escaped those systems. But another way that folks can get ahead is by prioritizing your education. Something immigrants have also done (laughs) who have come to the U.S. uh, because Pew has found that there's a growing income gap between Americans with a bachelor's degree and those who do not have one. And it is important to note here that it it doesn't necessarily have to be a college degree here uh, that we're talking about. That's the it's definitely the traditional path for a lot of folks. And it will make a lot of sense as a way to move up the income scale, uh, in particular, if you're able to keep that debt to a minimum. Uh, But it certainly feels like it is the most replicable way to increase your income. uh, And that's proven out too by the facts, by the data. That's right. Yeah. And you're right. Education is a crucial component here when it comes to moving up the socioeconomic hierarchy, right? Uh, but, But Pew is also looking over a long time horizon here, 50 years. And interestingly enough, we're actually seeing more signs over the past decade that entrepreneurship and blue collar work can be more lucrative these days for for a lot of folks. And that path often allows you to avoid taking on a boatload of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. Again, we're going to talk about kind of some of these things a little bit more in next week's episode. But uh, check out uh, our conversation with about blue collar work with Ken Rusk back in episode 277 for for more on that. Uh, But for folks who are more inclined to work with their hands, there's more of a chance uh, than at any time in recent history that you can make a substantial income 
while avoiding some of the the debt and time and opportunity costs that goes along with a college education. But still, education, even if it's not higher education, even if it's not going to a university or something like that, or getting a master's degree, there are all sorts of other ways that you can ed- educate yourself, especially now, like for free or, or for cheap, that can have uh, an outsized impact on your ability to, to build your wealth. Yeah, that's right. Another way you can move up that ladder gradually is by investing, uh, because obviously increasing your income is great. But we still see stories all over the place about folks who are making six figures, who are still living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, And so we wanted to highlight this because a high salary does not equal a robust savings rate. Uh, Pew wasn't really measuring net worth in their study, but we think of that actually as an even more compelling metric, Mm -hmm. because when you're investing money with every paycheck, slowly but surely, that's going to have a significant impact on your ability to build wealth and gain financial freedom. Again, we're not saying it's easy, but you really can do this. This this really can be done in any of the three income classes. It feels like this truly sort of democratic technique that is accessible to, to everyone. And it's more accessible now than ever Not with only. the abundance of 401k plans yeah. of low fee investing through yeah, you, some of those low cost brokers. You don't have to know firms. a guy. You, right. don't, have to, you right. don't have to like make a phone call and what you, figure all of this out. Yeah. It, a lot of it is automated either through your workplace or if not, it is incredibly easy to set up with somebody like Fidelity or Vanguard. And there's these low-cost funds, but also you can get started for a dollar, right? Whereas before, you used to have at least least a thousand bucks for a number of years, right, to to kind of get started. And now it's like, it's democratized, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can buy those low-cost index funds and you can just build wealth over time, slowly but surely. Yeah, what's interesting, actually, so, and it's important to say that we're building wealth because by investing, that's not necessarily going to increase your income, Right. right? It's like almost the inverse of that is true. By increasing your income, that may, however, potentially allow you to invest more. And that truly is the ultimate goal that we're striving after here, right? Uh, And so by increasing your income, like we just don't want to get the means mixed up with the end. And it's important just to have these things within the right place. Yeah. Well, and and to your point about getting there gradually by investing, that you can grow your net worth even on a smaller income. Well, there's the occasional story that comes out, right? About somebody who did have a, a small income, but over the decades was able to amass a small fortune. And um, there was a story a few years back um, in, in CNBC about a janitor who died with $8 million in, in his investment accounts. And it's one of those things where I don't necessarily think of that as a good thing, that you would focus so dang heavily on investing for your future that you don't, you're not able to actually like uh, use some of those funds now to further your enjoyment in life. Um, but it's also, it, it also helps to prove what you were just saying, Matt, that, that a little bit by little bit, even on a small income, can amass into something meaningful. Yeah, that's right. He was a janitor. And before that, he was working at a gas station. And so it's not like this guy had some sort of large windfall. It was him literally spending less than he made and investing the difference. Uh, another route we think uh, that you should consider when it comes to earning more money is to take the path of entrepreneurship. <laughs> we think that you should consider working for yourself because in a lot of professions, like there's going to be a cap to what it is that you can earn. We, we talked about teachers earlier on, how they are a lot of them are finding some fulfilling work. But you aren't getting rich teaching at your local elementary school. That's an Uh, understatement. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, But let's say that same teacher starts a YouTube channel, or maybe they start selling lesson plans on Teachers Pay Teachers, which is a great resource if you're the kind of person who likes to put together a curriculum. Uh, Or even be like that piano teacher, Joel, that you mentioned on YouTube. Because, you know, if, if you're a piano teacher and maybe you are earning 50 bucks a lesson, that's pretty great. But teaching the entire world can actually provide more income per hour spent working than you would be able to find otherwise. 
Yeah, and there's just more ability now than ever before to kind of take something that you're passionate about or something that you're skilled in and kind of, and turn it into a source of income um, uh, on a bigger scale. But let's talk about something else too, Matt. Another uh, another thing that you need to do if you want to be a part of the positive shrinkage of the middle class, and that is uh, get- <laughs> That's a great way of spinning it, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we're going to call this positive shrinkage. Positive shrinkage. I think I think it's accurate, right? Based on the data, <laughs> we're we're seeing that it, the shrinkage is leading to larger. Uh, uh, upper class, which is great. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the I think developing a, a sense of grit, right, is, is something else that would be helpful. You know, we actually did a whole episode back in the day about about uh, how grittiness is, is one of the biggest indicators of your ability to improve your personal finances. And the same thing is true if we're talking about in- improving your income. Getting more disciplined is at the, the crux of ensuring that you're making progress, whether it's waking up earlier or reading more, you know, di- dissecting your habits to ensure that more of your money uh, is going towards savings and investments, that's a huge part of changing your lot in life. And uh, Socrates, Matt, he said that the, the free individual is free only to the extent of his own self-mastery. And I know uh, for myself, I have at times been overly lazy and I have missed out on opportunities because of it. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know, We little changes and positive new habit formations they often start small, but they snowball into real progress over time. It's it's just like what you're talking about with investing, how a little bit can make a big difference. It seems like nothing at the beginning, uh, but those baby steps, they have a huge impact over the decades. And the same is true with the habits, we, with how we spend our time and with, and with what we're consuming, how that can help us or hurt us. It can uh, help us achieve what we want to, or it can actually take us further away from what, what we're trying to achieve. Right. And aside from how it is that we can increase our incomes and, and find ourselves advancing our station in life, uh, I think it's good to point out, too, that the, the fact that like life is, is pretty good right now. Like We're not trying to gloss over everything and say that everything's fine. Go back to your work. <laughs> but think about how it is your grandparents grew up. Um, because do you have it worse than they did You know, back 50, 60, 70 years ago? Uh, like, seriously, do an honest assessment for a minute. Because my guess is for almost everyone listening, your life is much better than theirs. Uh, at least in terms of the creature comforts that we get to experience ba- on a daily basis. Former guest Morgan Housel, he talks about how we think of the 1950s as being the the economic glory days. But if you had the chance, would you actually want to live back then? Because I, I highly doubt it. Yeah, would you step in a time machine transporter that would take you back there uh, if it meant you couldn't return uh, to 2022? Unlikely. I know I wouldn't. I'd probably not. I mean, honestly, even just like your cell phone Only is if I keeping... Don Draper, but... <laughs> <laughs> like, the, like small pieces of technology that we use on a daily basis, I think oftentimes are what are keeping us uh, from thinking, oh yeah, that, that is a life that I would actually want to experience. Because by basically every standard, the vast majority of Americans are better off now than they were back then. Uh, expectation inflation, that's actually a major reason why folks are less happy and why they assume that they are much worse off when, statistically speaking, things are a lot better for the vast majority of folks. Yeah. Yeah. Our friend Jack, who writes over at Young Money, wrote recently uh, in a similar vein. And he basically said, life is the best that it's ever been. Uh, rates of extreme poverty have been plummeting, right? 86% of the world's population is literate. It was only 21% in 1900. He just like rattled off this laundry list of statistics. We'll link to that article in the show notes too. Even something as simple as a COVID vaccine. Yeah. I mean, that did not exist 50 years, 100 years ago. Sure. And and the ability to develop it so quickly and the type of technology, right? That uh, And the brain power that it took to be able to create that. Um, There are so many reasons. And I think when you put it in those stark terms, would you go back to 1950? Would you trade your current life for for that life, 
Uh, in all likelihood, the answer is no. Right. And, and I, it's so it's our belief that the American dream is is still alive, and you're not only able to accomplish it by working seventy plus hours a week, you know, grinding as hard as you possibly can. It's it's not just for folks with a fancy education or for people earning six figures. In our uber-connected age, it's it's easy to, I think, get down and out mad about idiotic politicians, income inequality, and, and the negative headlines that tend to dominate the news. And while the real world has real problems, uh, many of us are far too focused on the things we can't control. We're maybe buying into uh, the, the negative sentiments on Twitter. Uh, instead, we would say, let's turn the majority of our focus to things that we can influence as individuals and, and realize that we've got more say over our futures than we often like to think. And some of these stats are actually showing us that a shrinking middle class isn't actually nearly as bad of a thing. And it actually might be a better thing than you'd like to think. And I think we would say that the vast majority of How to Money listeners can participate, can change their trajectory, right? By changing a few things about their lives. And, um, and we're, again, not easy, but I think it's refreshing to kind of dig into the data and see that there is actually a lot of positive news to behold and that more of us can and are likely to participate in like the economic progress of our country than maybe think that they will. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think another part of it too is like you're talking about some of the negative aspects that we become transfixed and, you know, obsessed with. What's cool is that as we are able to de- develop ourselves in- as individuals, we can then eventually have impacts not only on, on our finances, but the finances of our families, of, right. of our friends. And then eventually, yeah, our cities, our states, our countries, and hopefully uh, <laughs> far off down the road, there will be less problems. There will be ways for us to combat some of the things that seem to take so much of our time now. It's just, I feel like so many, so many of us, myself included at times, want there to be answers and quick fixes now, especially on a large scale, when in fact, what we need to do is focus more on the local, right? And not only just developing ourselves, but then finding ways that we can look to improve our communities as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Yeah. So when we do that, I think we're, we're going to more tangibly see the progress, right? In our own lives and in the lives of people around us. And that just provides more encouragement. And then all of a sudden your your beliefs and your attitudes have completely completely transformed because yeah. you, you feel gr- at least great about the things that you have been accomplishing at home. When you think about the grand scale problems that you have basically zero influence over, um, it, it's, it just makes you feel small. Um, but when you realize that there are other ways that you can impact people directly, it's empowering. So hopefully, Matt, this runs uh, counter to a strain of pessimism. I feel like we're seeing yes. um, in our in our country right now. And again, it's not that there aren't negative things, but there are a lot of good things too. And they're, you know, by tuning out some of those negative things, your just life experience can be better. Mm-hmm. All right. That's true, man. Uh, let's at least now mention the beer that you and I enjoyed the, during this episode. Just one other, by the way. All right, uh, uh, well, no, one you... other evidence of the reality that things are getting better is our abundance of beer choices. <laughs> <laughs> if you look back just 25 years ago, how many how many craft breweries were there in the United States? A hundred? Maybe? Max? Not, not enough. Yeah. Not and enough. now we have an abundance, which is beer, but we're drinking a not, non- Not that Stiegel is necessarily <laughs> no. a, a craft brewery, although it is fun from time to time to go with one of these larger producers who make a really good beverage. Uh, And this is a Lemon Rattler by Stiegel. I will go ahead and kick it off by saying that this sort of tastes like uh, uh, carbonated alcoholic lemonade, (laughs) which I think can be a dangerous thing (laughs) because like you don't really, it doesn't feel like you're having a beer. It doesn't really feel like you're having a drink. That's right. Uh, It is quite delicious, quite refreshing on a hot summer day like we are experiencing at the moment. But I will say at times I feel that Stiegel's Rattlers can get a bit sweet. Uh, And for me, at least that's one thing that like I'm literally 
more of like a Bud Light, Bud Light Lime guy on the beach. I will drink those beers, and I would honestly for every five Our listeners just lost a lot of respect for you, man. <laughs> hey, I think there's a lot of folks out there who would be like, yeah, I could I could handle a Bud Light Lime when you're sitting out there on a, on a beach because you and I like we've tried we've we've tried having nicer beers out on the beach and. Honestly, like the more basic you can go with the flavors, uh, the more refreshing it is. In, in the baking sun, you don't want some sort of 10% triple IPA. You, you don't want something that's got a whole lot of complexity. No. Which is why I totally understand why this is also very refreshing yeah. out there. But for me, I mean, they don't put nutrition facts on beers, but I really would love to know the grams of sugar uh, that are in this compared to something like a Bud Light Lime because that's what I was drinking last week <laughs> out on the beach. And I did not get tired of them. I'll say that. Okay. All right. Well, we're back in the real world now, bud. So put those <laughs> put those in the back of the fridge. I literally won't buy them again until next, next summer. Trip, yeah. Until I hit up the beach. Yeah. So I thought this was it was bright, but it also was laid back enough that uh, it, that it can be enjoyable, and you can have a couple, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And I, like yeah, to me, this lower is, ABV allows you to do that. Yeah, sure. this is the kind of beer that for seltzer fans, like they should try this, <laughs> right? Because I think this is like a better version of a fruited seltzer, um, a fruited Rattler. So yeah, the Stiegel Rattler grapefruit. It's probably my favorite, but lemon's like a close second. Mm-hmm. Raspberry, eh, not not as good uh, in my opinion. But it's a great beer. It's my like summer go-to, and then I don't drink it for like ten months yeah. <laughs> of it's the year. Something great to pick up. Dog days of summer. You're sitting poolside, swing by the grocery store, pick up one of those four packs. Yeah, uh, you probably won't regret it, no doubt. But Joel, that's gonna be it, buddy, for this episode. Folks can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. Uh, while you're there, go to forward slash newsletter where you can also sign up for the best personal finance newsletter in the world. Those drop every Tuesday morning, chock full of actionable advice and interesting, helpful little tidbits to help you along your way to helping you climb that class ladder if that's something you're interested in. Again, don't let that become the goal, but that can be the means to the goal, right? Like that can be uh, a means to an end as we all are striving after more options and financial, uh, different levels of financial freedom. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.